Um, good morning, friends. It's good to be with you. Would you open your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 3? Uh, we will be continuing this journey in the pastoral letters from the Apostle Paul to Timothy, who was giving leadership in the ancient city of Ephesus, where Paul had planted a church. The church was in crisis, and the church needed leaders to help literally saved the church from disintegration, uh, and, and Paul is, in chapter 3, going to give him some direction on uh, carefully selecting leaders to join him. Before we get to the passage in 1 Timothy 3, I think we're going to be through verse 11 or so this morning. Uh, let me start with a statement, uh, and then I will just invite you to consider whether you agree with the statement or not. Uh, so here's a statement for you to consider. Uh, where there is crisis or when there is crisis, uh, God calls and uses men and women to lead the way forward in the reality of advancing the kingdom of God. Uh, when there is crisis, when there is hardship, God calls and uses men and women to lead the way forward. And when it comes to leadership, character and integrity matters. Would you agree? Here's some three um, values for me as a basketball coach. I tell people sometimes, uh, my, my full-time gig is I'm a freshman basketball coach, and my side hustle is pastoring a church. <laughs> but I, uh, I, I love coaching basketball because I love the game, but also because it, gets me, it gives me an opportunity to kind of take the pastor hat off, take the dad hat off, and just be coach. Uh, and to develop young men, and that's a, a real important part of the calling of my life. And as I think about coaching um, and developing young men in the game of basketball, but more so basketball, like any sport, is an opportunity to learn about life. And uh, three core values for me as a coach that I try to develop in the young men that God uh, gives me a blessing to coach, hard work, character, unselfishness. Hard work, character, Unselfishness. Those are just personal core values for me that I'm wanting to develop in the young men that I coach. Uh, there's a really famous coach in college basketball. His name is John Wooden. He's passed away. He's in glory now. He's a believer, follower of Jesus. Uh, here's a quote from John Wooden around character. He says, uh, be more concerned with your character than your reputation. Because your character is what you really are while your reputation is merely what others think you are, right? Um, Martin Luther King Jr., famous quote around character from Martin Luther King Jr., I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character, right? What is, what is character? Um, you can see the Greek word there, literally, a literal translation of what we get from character is an engraved mark uh, or an imprint on the soul, meaning uh, I will show you my character, not by what I say, but by what I do, the actions that I take uh, in my life. Not really as related to our preferences, uh, but really shown in our habits and our decisions. Um, I think character can be defined as our moral Self. Um, it's what we say, but it's really do our actions back up what we say we believe. I um, have a good friend here at Two Rivers. Many of you guys know Coach Bradley. 
um, Steve Bradley, and he works for FCA, and his ministry in FCA is to develop character coaches, men and women who would be willing to go into a middle school, high school, and speak about character to young people, and we office in the same space. I was like, hey, coach, I was with him on Thursday after men's group, I'm like, I want to know right now without thinking, like, tell me what character is, and this is what just rolls off of his tongue. A person's character is revealed uh, by what they do when no one else is watching, right? I like that. I like that definition. Um, Again, contextual for our passage today, church in Ephesus, crisis mode. Timothy leading the way. Timothy is Paul's son in the faith. He's leading the way in Ephesus. uh, And he needed to, from Paul's perspective to Timothy, you need to raise up men and women of character to join you in leading this church forward in this city. Um, One of the things that we talked about the first Sunday that we were uh, just really opening this series were three main themes that we would see again and again as we walk through 1st and 2nd Timothy verse by verse uh, in this series. Uh, The deity of Christ is the main thing, Christ's salvation for all people, not some people, and thirdly, our theology, what we believe about God. And our integrity or our character matters. A couple things I said that particular Sunday is what characterizes these letters most is not doctrine, but doctrine or theology or belief and our lives. The intersection of our faith, what we say we believe, and how we show what we say we believe in our lives um, as we live our lives. And we see a repeated insistence from Paul in these letters on ethical and moral integrity. So again, the statement, when it comes to leadership, character and integrity matters. I agree. It's my statement. So I agree with my statement. I'm inviting you to consider. But I would say based on 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul deeply agrees. Character and integrity matters. What we say we believe, how we live our lives, the intersection of life and faith really matters. Um, Proverbs 11. Here's a couple of Proverbs for you around this topic of character and integrity. Uh, Proverbs 11.1, 1, the Lord detests dishonest scales. Like a dishonesty, a lack of character, a lack of integrity. That's verse 1. Verse 3, integrity of the upright guides them. It's part of the kingdom way and cultivating in our minds and heart. What does it look like for me to walk in the way of the kingdom of God? What does it look like for me to walk with character and integrity uh, in, my, in my life? So that's, that's some of the detail of what's happening in 1 Timothy 3. Before we read these verses, I want to unpack uh, two Greek words for you. Um, the first section that we're going to look at is verses 1 to 7. And in that section, there's a Greek word, episkopos. And let me just unpack that for you for just a minute. It is translated uh, in English translations in a variety of ways. In, in your Bible, it might be translated elder, uh, could be translated bishop, overseer, or leadership. Uh, but the Greek word specifically means a, a, an overarching protection and care for a group of people. Uh, Paul uses the word to describe a function not a title. In verse 1, he says, uh, if you aspire to be an episkopos, uh, that is a noble task. 
So it's not about position. It's more about a heart's desire to serve and care and protect uh, in the name of Jesus. Uh, Five of us here at Two Rivers on our leadership team take very seriously the privilege and the responsibility of protecting, caring, serving. So that's, that's verses one to seven. And then verses, um, starting in verse eight through, I think it's 13 is the end of our passage. The word is diakonos, which is usually translated deacon, uh, but it could also be translated minister or servant. Um, Acts chapter six in the New Testament is where we see kind of the reality of what does it look like for uh, disciples, episcopos, overseers, uh, and diakonos, servants, ministers, deacons, to operate and caring for a group of people. The church was exploding at the beginning of Acts. Uh, and there was an issue around uh, practical matters, really practical matters. You can go read this later, Acts chapter 6. And what ended up happening is they organized a team of servants to meet practical needs in the church community so that the disciples could primarily focus on teaching the word of God and prayer. And so they were operating in unison in leadership, but with different functions. And so Paul, uh, in his letter to Timothy and our passage today, will speak about episkopos in verses 1 to 7, and then he transitions in verse 8 to diakonos, okay, ministers, servants. So that's just some... Uh, context for you in these words on the front end before we get there. Let me say this. Many of you here at Two Rivers, many people serve as ministers, servants, as our staff team, life group leaders, finance team, care team, prayer team, River Kids volunteers, student ministry volunteers, et cetera, et cetera. Many people step into the opportunity and privilege to care, serve, lead, guide, direct God's people in the way of Jesus. And I'm super, super thankful for that. So with all that said, if you would read with me uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, and I will start with the first uh, seven verses. Paul says to Timothy, here is a trustworthy saying. If anyone sets his heart on being an overseer, there's that word episkopos. He desires a noble task, not a title, a function, an opportunity to serve. Now the overseer must be above reproach. That's the general term that he is giving Timothy and thinking about who does Timothy need to carefully select, engage with, think about who could join him in being an overseer. It's people who have proven to be above reproach. That's the general term. And then as we go through the next verses, he will begin to, to identify, like above reproach means this, and it means this, and it means this, and it means this. This is not exhaustive, I don't believe, but it's just giving Timothy kind of some hooks to kind of hang his hat on as he thinks about who in that church was going to join him in shepherding the way forward. The overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. 
Verse 5, if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? He must not be a recent convert or he may become conceited and fall under the same judgment as the devil. He must also have a good reputation with outsiders or people who are outside of the faith, outside of the church, so that he will not fall into disgrace and into the devil's trap. Um, here's, here's the first point I want to make around these verses. When we read verses 1 to 7, um, the qualifications for leadership only touch indirectly on doctrine. Which is interesting because all of 1 Timothy 1, Paul is teaching Timothy about the danger of false teaching. And I read a comment, commentator this week talking about 1 and 2 Timothy, and his statement was, 1 Timothy, if there's one thing 1 Timothy about, it is about uh, moving against false teaching and helping people understand uh, the difference between false teaching and the truth of the gospel. So it's interesting for me, that as Paul is unpacking to Timothy, who he, he, he is to select to join him in leadership, he's not really talking about doctrine. The emphasis in these verses is almost entirely about moral integrity, purity of character. The church needed leaders who had a proven character and integrity, who are above reproach, who are known as people, who are living lives above reproach. And let me, let me just say this as, as a leader in this church. Uh, this is not describing anyone operating in perfection or there would be no leaders. There would be no leaders. But it does describe, and it's humbling to read and embrace and learn and grow. It does describe those who are known to be morally responsible and people of true character. He unpacks some things about living lives above reproach. The first thing, faithfulness. The literal translation is a man of one woman. A commitment to faithfulness in a monogamous, in a mo a monogamous relationship will speak meaningfully to a society of polytheism and rampant sexual perversion. In this city of Ephesus, character would earn respectability. We'd earn respectability for outsiders. He mentions that in verse um, 6. So faithfulness, that's important. It's an important quality to look for in a leader is someone who is faithful. Two, temperate and self-controlled, not violent, quarrelsome, not a lover of money, not given to drunkenness. This is getting kind of detailed. Like I, I think Paul is... He is speaking to the moral issues of the day that are happening in Ephesus. Like these are real issues that are happening in the city. And Paul is giving Timothy direction on who to identify because being self-controlled, it gains respect for both people inside the church and outside the church. When I was being trained in ministry, there was a um, statement that I was trained in that I have embraced uh, and I still embrace and I think you would agree with it that there's a reality in leadership that we need to earn the right to be heard. How does someone in ministry or someone in leadership earn the right to be heard? By what they say or by how they live their lives? I mean, I think that actions speak louder than words. 
And so Paul is engaging Timothy. We're looking for people who have earned the right already to be heard. Proverbs 25, 27, in thinking about self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. Self-control is important. Titus 2, 11 and 12, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And it teaches us the grace of God that offers salvation to all people. Here's what grace teaches us. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age. Hallelujah. Grace empowers the life change. So faithfulness, self-controlled. Thirdly, he mentions the word hospitable. And it's, it's important for us to understand contextually that hospitable in first century Ephesus means, means different than probably how we think about hospitality. Like what Paul means in hospitality here uh, is pretty different than just like having some friends over for dinner. Because in that society, uh, in the first century, travel conditions were miserable. So when he speaks about hospitality, he's literally talking about opening your home to strangers for the night. Like you are the inn. You are the hotel for people that you don't know, but they, but they know Jesus. And so you welcome them in your home, which means we practice like we're giving of our time, of our talents, of our treasure. Like, so when he says hospitality, he's talking about people who are proven to be selfless, proven to be generous in their lives, able to teach. Again, uh, false teaching, a huge issue and problem in first century Ephesus um, and their hypocrisy. Um, the church needed leaders who had a sincere faith and who had truly uh, the gift of teaching God's truth so that the people of God could identify false teaching with teaching that aligns with the truth of his gospel. And then thirdly, men who are managing their family well. Like, is there evidence already in their families of guiding, of character, of protection? Uh, is, that, is that known by the people? There's already a respect for that uh, in their actual uh, lives, in their marriages, and in their families. And then the last thing I'll just mention is this, like, warning, warning, warning. No recent converts, Timothy. Why? Because the temptation of pride and conceit. So someone who's a new convert, they, they need time to develop character. They need time to develop their life. And so we want to see them develop that over time. And then they earn the right to step in. But to protect them uh, from arrogance, no recent converts can lead as an episcopos right now. They need time to mature. So that's, that's the text. And so let me make three points with you, and then we'll get to the deacon uh, piece of the text. One uh, there is debate, uh, there's scholarly debate uh, around uh, what specifically Paul means when he says uh, the husband of one wife. Um, and here's the debate. Does that rule out women as episcopos for all time um, in our lives? Um, certainly in this context, 
He writes to Timothy, he is calling specific men to rise up and lead the church in first century Ephesus. Now, um, the big question around this is the same question that we engaged on and spent a, a lot of time on a few weeks ago in 1 Timothy 2.12. Um, is the phrase intended by Paul to exclude women for all time? Or is it contextually for the conditions going on in Ephesus in this day? How do we, how do we bring relevance to our lives today? Something that was written to Timothy then and there. How do we bring relevance to that to our lives here today? The reality is in Ephesus, Timothy needed to raise up leaders. And Paul is specific to Episcopos. They, they needed to be men, but not all men. He rules out women in this context, but he also rules out all men. They had to be married men, but not just married men. They had to be married men with not just one kid, but they had to have children. That was, it was pretty specific what Paul was saying here to Timothy in this context. And so for me, uh, again, I don't, I'm not going to spend too much time on this. I would reference the message on October the 16th uh, because that's where really I unpacked where we land as a leadership team. Uh, but I, I will say for clarity, uh, our humble interpretation, our leadership team here at Two Rivers, our humble interpretation as we utilize biblical interpretive standard of Scripture, interpret Scripture, is that this is contextual for what's happening in Ephesus in the first century. Why? Because there are lots of other biblical examples of women leading and teaching in the New Testament. And so our understanding is that these are contextual crisis management measures to save the church. Here's what's so interesting about this. Um, Paul is telling Timothy to raise up married men who have children. Was Paul married? No, Paul is single. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he states that his preference, not a command, not a command, but his preference for the marital status of believers committed to ministry is that they remain single like he is. So we have this context, though, in Ephesus that he is saying, here's what we need for leaders. Why? Because the church is in crisis and we need people who are leading who have already gained a respect from people both in the church and outside the church that they understand how to manage well and they have integrity to lead. But here's what's interesting for me. Paul rules himself out because he's single. And I don't know, I don't, I don't know of any attempts that people make to exclude single men from eldership based on 1 Timothy 3. But I know a lot of, of contexts where they use 2 Timothy 3 to rule out women altogether. But he rules out single men. And he rules out married men with no kids. And he rules out married men with one kid. It's children, plural. Are you guys, am I making sense? It's contextual. That's what, I, that's what I think is happening. And here's what we have to embrace here. These are not just suggestions to Timothy. Hey, Timothy, I think this would be a good idea if you tracked with me on this. No, he's like laying out to Timothy very specific instructions. Neither women nor all men could lead and teach at this time in this church in Ephesus, but only a select group that was carefully selected. 
And because of these critical circumstances, the church needed these leaders to rise up. And again, I would just say um, October 16th is, um, is the message to reference if you just want to understand more about where we're landing on these things as a leadership team here at Two Rivers. So uh, what's important for us today? Okay, Swain, like, okay, I, I, I'm not... How do I understand, like, how do we bring relevance? What's the heart of the matter? What's the principles uh, for us today in this church in our day? Um, and I think that's really, really important for us to consider because one of, the, one of the paradoxes of church history is that direction in Scripture, like 1 Corinthians 3, it is directive to Timothy. But one of the paradoxes in church history is that direction in Scripture that is intended to promote healing and growth and unity have resulted in just the opposite. Authoritarian leaders, domineering leaders have caused much damage in churches of all sizes and churches of all denominations. What I see in these verses is that the very core of Paul's strategy is the careful selection of leaders who have known and proven moral integrity and character and management of their own families. Here's some principles that I am gleaning from this for us. The church needs humble leaders. I think of Matthew 18, the disciples are grumbling about who's the greatest. And they're clamoring, right? And they're like, who, how do we become the greatest? And Jesus pulls a little child over and he says, if you want to be great, you got to be humble like this little child. And then it happens again in Matthew 23. And they ask the same question. And he says, if you want to be great, you got to embrace being a selfless servant. Humble servants. Two, the church needs leaders whose lives have been tested. There's a fruit of faithfulness. Not perfectly, not perfectly, but there is a, a moral responsibility and character and a growth that builds trust of the people that are being led. And third, the church needs leaders who have proven spiritual gifts to care, to lead, to manage, and to teach. Peter writes some words about leadership that I think are instructive alongside 1 Timothy 3. Let me read a couple verses from 1 Peter 5. He says, I have special concern for you church leaders. I know what it's like to be a leader. And here's my concern, that you care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd. A shepherd of sheep had a staff and they had a rod. And the staff was to chase the one that left the 99. And the rod was to ward off the wolves. There's a protective element and there's a caring element. Here's my concern that you care for the flock with all diligence of a shepherd. Not because you have to, because you want to please God. And also the church Needed servants, ministers, diakonos. And that's the next passage. Uh, we'll finish here through verse 13. So he speaks about qualifications for 
episkopos, and then he moves to diakonos in verse 8. Deacons, likewise, are to be worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine. I think, you think that was maybe an issue in Ephesus, right? Think it's an issue today, probably. Yeah. These were the moral issues of the day. And not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith with a clear conscience. They must first be tested like their lives prove faithfulness. And then if there is, any, if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. In the same way, the women are to be worthy of respect. Not malicious talkers, but temperate and trustworthy in everything. A deacon, the same as episkopos, a diakonos must be the husband of one wife. Faithfulness, monogamous, and must manage his children with his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and a great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Um, a couple of points about these verses briefly. Um, it's interesting. Um, verse 8 Deacons, likewise, are to be worthy of respect. A lot of translations add, are to be men worthy of respect. Your translation might say that. It's actually not in the Greek text. It's just added by the translators. Um, Deacons are to be worthy of respect. And then in verse 11, uh, it says, and then women in the same manner, in the same way, women are to be worthy of respect. That Greek word there could be translated women or wives. And so we're not totally sure if Paul is meaning to say the wives of the male deacons are also deacons along with their husbands, or if he's saying women also in the church who are leading as deacons. We're not totally sure, but regardless of where you land on that, there were men and women Deacon, deacons leading the church as ministers and servants uh, based on these verses. Here's the big point that I want to make to you. Uh, certainly, Paul means to say both men and women who are leading uh, have earned the trust, are to be people who have earned the trust and the respect of the people in the church. Their faith, what they say they believe, and their lives, the decisions that they make, have been proven in alignment, again, not perfectly, but in alignment to the degree that these leaders earn respect and trust of the people who are following them. It's really important. Um, and I would say these verses are one more occasion throughout First and Second Timothy where Paul highlights the importance of personal integrity and servant leadership in the church. Our leadership, our heart here at Two Rivers um, is to be people, certainly, who walk in humility, who walk in integrity, and who walk in selfless service for you. We are not perfect. We need God. We need his direction. We need the Holy Spirit's direction. We need the word of God to lead, guide, and direct us, and we need you to pray for us. But that's why we celebrate. The fact that we need God, we need his word, we need his Holy Spirit in his life, we need you to pray for us, that's why we celebrate and proclaim God's empowering, overcoming, healing grace in our lives. That's why we want to embrace 
being people who are quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Like our hearts desire that if you have concern, that you have question, that you have something that you need to talk about, like what you will receive from us. You will receive humility. You will receive care. You will receive listening. You will receive a people prayerfully who are very quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. And that's why we follow, we desire to follow what the Lord requires of us as leaders to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly with God. I believe that Paul's words, honestly, in 1 Timothy 3, they are instructive for all of us. Um, I deeply believe that moral integrity and character matters. Um, and, and I think Paul's clear on that as well. Um, and it's why Peter's words in 1 Timothy 5, in alignment with 1 Timothy 3. Let me read the whole context of 1 Peter 1 to 5, and we'll close here this morning. Because he doesn't just speak to leaders, he speaks to every person who calls on the name of Jesus in this context. And again, at the beginning, um, verse 1 of 1 Peter 5, I have special concern for you church leaders. I know what it's like to be a leader. Here's my concern, that you care, that you care, that you care for people. You care for God's flock with all the diligence of a shepherd. Not because you have to, but because you want to please God. Don't lord it over the people assigned to your care. Caring doesn't mean lording it over people. But lead them by your own good example. And when the great shepherd appears, Jesus himself, speaking of the second coming of Christ, you will receive a crown of never-ending glory and honor. And then Peter says, all of you, every single person, dress yourselves in humility. As you relate to one another, as we live lives together, as we share and care, as we show up at church, as we, as we live lives in our neighborhoods, as we minister to people in our communities, as we show up here at church, as we go from here, uh, that we would be a people that are known for their humility and how much they care. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble. Lord, would you do that work in us, I pray. Lord, would our lives, would our lives align with our faith? And Lord, would your grace and your mercy and your Holy Spirit grow us Teach us, train us in righteousness. Lord, we want to put on humility. Lord, we want to be a people who are known for humility and who are known to care. So Lord, would you, would you do that work in us and through us? Lord, I pray a spirit of unity for us in this church as we follow in the way of Jesus and as we embrace partnership together in the vision that you have given us and the mission that you have given us, um, and the responsibility and the privilege of leading and caring for this church and this city that you have called us to. So I pray where 
where pride has blinded us, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would convict us so that we would see or that it is all a work of your grace. It is all a work of your grace. And Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy would be would be seen and felt and known and understood in fresh ways uh, for us to find unity in the gospel and that you would favor us in our mission so that more people would know the hope that we have or that we would be a people that is not known for disagreement and arguing over matters that create a a witness of church people who can't get along with each other, Lord, but that people truly would see us as people who love and who are patient and who carry burdens and who serve humbly and that you would do a fresh work in us and that we would find joy in leading and growing this church, that you would root us deeper in your love, and that, Lord, that you would give us opportunity to invite more to come, to experience your goodness and your grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.